Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Am I afraid of karma? No, Gavin. I'm a winner. Not the kind of guy that plugs the toilet up every day at 3 p.m. Take a plunger next time. Ass. The following podcast contains... Other truckers! That hurt like a butt cheek on a stick! Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you just assumed an alien would give you a lift to a new planet, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 281, Get Me the Hell Out of Here, part two, Planetary Zillow, where we check out the galactic real estate listing for a new planet with some cute bars in the neighborhood. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Must Martian Movers. Are you ready to relocate to the Mariner Valley? What about watch the sunrise from the slopes of Olympus Mons? Want to ride a rover through Medusa Fosse? Then sign up now for Musk Martians Movers. We're looking for brave explorers to live and work on Mars, building the city of Elon, humanity's new home. Why wait for the government to do what private enterprise can do better, faster, and cheaper? Make your move to Mars with Musk Martian Movers. Now recruiting in all fields, physics, medicines, chemistry, engineering, and breeding stock. So if you have what it takes in the head or in the bed, Musk Martian Movers is ready to move you to Mars. The moon has become a vast, complex space station. Suddenly. Frightened. Blasted out of Earth orbit. Destined to journey forever. Deeper and deeper into the unknown. Destination Moon Base Alpha. Hello and welcome back to part two for our search for a new home among the stars. If you were looking for some reason to stay on this benighted planet, I think we can safely assume that this week did not bring you such reassurances. Sure, Are you I'm prepared to, to do specifically that, do it? Well, I, go would ahead, say, I would say almost everything I see is from the left wing, not from the right wing. So what are you, what are you, you look, what are you saying? I'm, I'm willing to do anything. I want to see well, peace. Then do it, sir. Say I, it. Do it. Say it. You want to call them... What do you want to call them? Give me a name. Give me a white name. White supremacists and right like me to condemn? White Proud supremacists boys. and right Proud, Proud boys. Stand back and stand by. But I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Somebody's got to do something about Antifa and the left because this is not a right his wing own, problem. This is, this is a left wing. This is a left wing white supremacist. So you know, we should probably continue looking for a refuge once all this goes to shit. Last week, we established that it was theoretically possible there was alien species with sufficient technology to get us to a distant planet, and assumed without any real evidence, because that's what we do in America today, that if it works for the Trumpers, you know, we can make it work for us. So, aliens, and they're going to give us a lift. But we still need to decide where we should go. Now, as a kid, of course, I had a whole list of planets that I thought would be pretty awesome to visit and or live upon. I rather thought that Ursa Minor Beta sounded like a fun vacation spot. Ursa Minor is almost certainly the most appalling place in the universe. 
Though it is excruciatingly rich, horrifyingly sunny, and more full of wonderfully exciting people than a pomegranate is of pips, it can hardly be insignificant that when a recent edition of the magazine Play Being headlined an article with the words, When you are tired of Ursa Minor, you are tired of life, the suicide rate in the constellation quadrupled overnight. And who wouldn't enjoy a spiked blue milk drink in the Mos Eisley Cantina on Tatooine? Mos Eisley Spaceport. You will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. But as a child of the 70s, I will always have a soft spot for the moon. Now, not to get all maudlin old man, but the youngs will just never understand the relationship nerdy boomers and Gen X kid have with the moon. There were two things we all just assumed as fact. That we'd all be driving around in flying cars and that we would have bases on the moon. Of course we would have people living on the moon. I mean, it was just something that was going to happen the same way. We'd beat the godless Ruskies and put a Ford in every white American garage. It was our destiny. Danger, adventure, and breathtaking thrills come rocketing to the screen as science smashes a new frontier in the world of tomorrow. See a man-carrying rocket travel 240,000 miles to land on a spaceship. See man explore the desolated areas of the moon. See for the first time thrilling pictures of the world of tomorrow. When I was a kid, I was obsessed with the idea of living on the moon. Look, some kids like cowboys, but I was a nerd. Nor did I see it as some sort of super science fiction future. There would be all kinds of things on the moon like we had on Earth. Grocery stores, bowling alleys, honky-tonks, where moon miners would have cold ones while watching the Lunar League football games. Man, those long passes could really travel in lunar gravity. My generation would be the first generation to live on the fucking moon, man. Unfortunately for us... But then shit got all fucked up. And we stopped going to the moon, and the closest thing to a flying car we have now is some kind of a helicopter thing that just, it, it, it just doesn't sound right. That's what a flying car is supposed to sound like. The reason I start with the moon for my new planet is partially nostalgia, but also because it's the one planetary body, you know, we've actually been to and have real plausible plans to get people living there. Admittedly, it doesn't solve all my problems since it's close enough that I could still still get Twitter and have to read Donald fucking Trump tweets. But, you know, you gotta start somewhere. So let's begin with our old friend, Luna. Let's go to the fucking Luna! Moon bases are hardly a new idea. I imagine when Glork's chief was giving him shit about his poor performance during the yak hunt, Glork would sit at the fire while the stronger, sexier hunters would laugh at him and stare up at the moon dreaming of living on the moon where the yak hunting was easy and the moon girls were easier. recorded mention of humans living and working on the moon was in 1638 when an Anglican bishop by the name of John Wilkins wrote a discourse concerning a new world and another planet, probably because the archbishop was giving him shit about his sermon being subpar and the other bishops would make fun of him around the rectory. But there's no way for us to know for sure why exactly he wrote it. But it wasn't until the advent of pulp fiction sci-fi that living on the moon began to enter the social consciousness of America. 
Long before we'd even sent a probe, much less a person to the moon, writers like Arthur C. Clarke were applying science to the problems of what it would take to establish a permanent settlement on the moon. Clarke suggested, quote, Igloo-shaped habitats were covered with dust for insulation, and an inflatable radio mast was used for maintaining contact with the crews in the field. Power was supplied by a nuclear reactor. The colonists farmed using hydroponic techniques and electric monorails connected their habitats, mining facilities, and telescopes, unquote. Other concepts talked up digging into the lunar surface and developing underground bases. Other ideas considered modular inflatable habitats in deep craters with solar panels at the top for power. There's a current idea bouncing around about using lunar lava tubes, which sounds like a great name for a band, as a quick way to get a base up and running. In 1995, a couple of Russians envisioned a mobile lunar base moving from resource to resource, carrying the crew and workers. And if it counted an obstacle, it couldn't easily drive around or through. It would go over using thrusters in the low lunar gravity, kind of like the Terran command centers in StarCraft. That sounds awesome. A permanent human presence on the moon was generally considered appealing because it was an essential for any future expansion into the solar system. Just like going to the moon was mostly a big, ridiculously expensive proof of concept for getting to Mars, which when we were going there in the 70s was what everyone widely considered it to be. It was planned at high levels in NASA that we would start building a base sometime in the 1980s, and by the 2000s, it would be a large science facility with resource extraction from the moon, supporting and even funding a moon base. So what happened? Uh, it's complicated. Answers having to do with budgets, politics, technological hurdles to be overcome, but mostly it was because... Nah, it got boring. People got tired of going to the moon, coming back with boxes of rocks and not much else. And when people got bored, the political will to spend money dried up like the Flotus's vag when he learned she learned how broke her fucking husband really is. The moon base got pushed back and pushed back and finally onto the way back burner. The shuttle program became the hot new thing. And now we ain't living on the goddamn moon. Also, turns out the moon. I went to the moon. <laughs> Sucked. I mean, it is just a big hunk of airless rock floating in the void, too hot in the sunlight, too cold in the shadows. Night is two weeks long. I mean, if you think your seasonal affective disorder is bad during February, you ain't seen nothing like a two-week-long night on the moon. Sure, you could have a hell of a bender, but in a two-week-long night. But all in all, it's probably not worth it. Also, constantly being blasted with cosmic radiation tends to turn your insides into one giant tumor. And my God... So dusty. Apollo 17 commander Gene Cernan expressed similar thoughts in a technical debrief following his moon mission, which was the last human sojourn into the, to the moon. He said, quote, I think dust is probably one of our greatest inhibitors to a nominal operation on the moon. I think we can overcome other physiological or physical or, me or mechanical problems except dust, unquote. It's a way worse problem that can be taken care of with a blast of lemon pledge. Pledge gives you waxed beauty instantly every time you dust. Because pledge does four jobs while you do only one. Pledge, lemon or regular. Also, that endless dust does what dust does. It builds up a static charge and not just a doorknob and a carpeted room charge. It could fry electronics faster than dropping your iPhone in the shitter after a heavy Taco Bell night. Don't do this, Dave! <laughs> oh, fine. I won't play the sound if you don't want me to. Oh, I just did. <laughs> One more thing about the dust. 
You know how when you go to the beach and you come back with sand in your cooch? I mean, if you have a cooch, you have sand in it. If you don't have a cooch, you probably don't have sand in it, but you got it everywhere goddamn else. But imagine that, except with super fine, super abrasive dust that you can never get it all off. I mean, it's not like you can take a fucking shower, because come to find out, yeah, there is some water on the moon. It ain't exactly on tap, as it were. You would have to mine it, dig it out, and then extract it into a usable form. And one idea, this is not a lie, using a giant microwave. Then, it would likely need to be desalinated before it could be consumed, but if they find enough and an efficient way to do it, it would eliminate the biggest hurdle having a moon base, since shipping up tons and tons of Pellegrino from Earth would be, to put it mildly, slightly expensive. All of that, though, it's possible. It's possible. It's even probable. What technology we even have now? And we will likely have an actual moon base within, say, I don't know, the next 20 years. Assuming, of course, we don't collapse into civil war because an Armstrong Dick Dimrod has his polo-shirted hidden minions started killing everybody in the streets when or if he loses the election. Let's keep it light. Because just like in the 70s, we really, really, really need to test this stuff on the moon where we can get our people back. Because... Some middle manager is going to decide to cut safety measures to keep shit on schedule and under budget, and they're going to fuck up, and our people are going to be stuck up there, but at least it's on the moon where we have a chance of sending somebody to get them back, unlike, say, Mars, which is where we turn our gaze to next in our search for a place where a man could get a little peace and quiet and never have to hear about what fucking Kanye is doing this week. Mars is pretty much the gold standard for human expansion, according to a lot of people who read the same sci-fi books I did when I was a kid. Those guys? Yeah, they're the ones with the billions of dollars and a dream. And sure, it sounds crazy to be planning to settle Mars within their lifetimes when we haven't even put a human foot on the planet. But when you made a few million bucks figuring out a way for people to pay online for used comic books and secondhand chotskis in the early aughts, anything is possible, right? I mean, if you can build an overpriced car that runs on batteries and kills its driver because they think they can turn on an autopilot while they take a snooze at 80 miles an hour, little things like the complexity of establishing a colony on a new fucking planet are easy-peasy, lemon-squeezy, and I'm sure everything will turn out fine. Still, Mars has a lot going for it as a new home for humanity. The Martian day, or Sol, is just over 24 hours long, so you wouldn't need to dick around with new clocks. It has a surface area about the same size as dry land portions of Earth, so there's lots of room to spread out in homestead. Mars has an axial tilt, meaning there are seasons, and you haven't seen anything until you've seen the leaves change on Aeolus Mons. You know, if th th there were leaves there. There aren't. Oh, uh, and water. Yes, friends, there is definitely water on Mars. Well, it's more like frozen water. Frozen water covered by carbon dioxide ice at the poles. But hey, with all that water, all that ice, you know what that means? Martian margaritas for everyone. I mean, oh, sure, there, there, there are drawbacks to Mars. It's not a perfect world. I mean, there's no atmosphere to speak of, so you can't live without a pressure suit and pressurized habitats, and what little atmosphere there is is 95% carbon dioxide, which you might think would make the place pretty balmy, given what has going on here on Earth, but, uh, nah. Temperatures average between 125 below zero and 23 degrees above zero. That's in, uh, 
That's in Fahrenheit because this is America. Mars gravity is about a third of what we have here on Earth. Great for keeping the old weight down, but not so great for growing strong bones and buff muscles. No atmosphere means you're constantly bombarded by cosmic rays and, uh, oh yeah, it also means no filtering of UV rays, so... If I could offer you only one tip for the future, sunscreen would be it. Oh, and yeah, dust. Mars has huge fucking dust storms. I mean, planet-swathing, total blackout, months-long dust storms. If you think the moon needed a Swiffer, the moon ain't got nothing on Mars. Mars dust is just going everywhere. And here's the best part about it. The dirt is toxic. It's full of perchlorates, which are toxic when inhaled in dust. And again, dust everywhere and it breaks down into chlorine gas yeah <laughs> yeah great if you're cleaning your pool not so hot if you're trying to breathe ask those guys during world war one I. I mean what a great place to live where dirt can can heal you oh elon you rascal you got some work to do none of this means humans living on mars is impossible just very 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 difficult Many of the same techniques and solutions we would employ to live on the moon would apply on Mars. Again, we should probably start closer to home there, Elon. And there are things on Mars that would make it easier to sustain a colony. There is a lot more water on Mars. It's easier to get, even enough to create oceans on Mars in the right conditions. More than enough for keeping a colony in breathable air and drinkable water, fuel for reactors and spaceships. And even the toxic, dirty fucking ground can help you make that rocket fuel. Raw materials exist on the Mars the same as on Earth. Since no one has spent centuries extracting them, they'll even exist easily accessible, far more easily than they are here. Proximity to the asteroid belt offers future chances for economic expansion, making Mars the place for the 22nd century capitalist. Oh, that's probably why Elon wants to go there. And we haven't even talked about terraforming. What, pod friends? If we could make Mars the garden spot of uninhabited planets. All we really need is already on Mars. It just needs to be converted into atmospheric gases and boom, warm Mars. It's that easy. Well, it's not that easy. The reason Mars is like it is because it stems from lack of sufficient mass to keep the atmosphere in place. We suspect it used to have a thick, habitable atmosphere, but it all kind of leaked away into space like a fart through bedsheets because Mars wasn't mad enough to keep it up. Also, Mars lacks magnetic fields. <laughs> So the solar wind would constantly be stripping off and blowing the atmosphere back into space, which isn't going doing anyone any good, so you could never stop terraforming Mars. Also, we have no fucking idea how to actually terraform anything. If we did, we could just do it here on Earth and fix our own goddamn problems right here. I mean, if we really want a local planet to colonize, Venus makes as much if not more sense than Mars. Well, look, Jane, we're here. Las Venus. First of all, Venus is closer to Earth. It has nearly the same gravity as Earth, and it has all the atmospheric elements needed to sustain life. Admittedly, not in ideal quantities for us, but unlike Mars, they're there. And with an atmosphere, all that nasty stuff from space like rays gets filtered out. From a colonization perspective, it's a no-brainer. Remember in Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back? 
They had that cloud city on Bespin where Lando Calrissian lived, just chilling up there in the atmosphere. We could totally do that on Venus. You build a habitat that literally floats above the toxic hellscape that is the deep Venusian atmosphere. You fill it with air, water, and people like a big fucking helium balloon, and it floats around the planet on winds and the habitable layers where the temperatures are actually quite pleasantly Earth-like. Hell, it's a better climate than we have here. Sure, you would need to proof the habitat against the rain of sulfuric acid that's constantly falling on Venus, but if you could find a way to build Lando's fucking cloud city, you could surely figure that out. Hell, the oxygen atmosphere in the balloon alone would provide the lift to keep it in place because it's much lighter than the dense, heavy CO2 below it. I love the idea of Venus the best because no one else really thinks about it. The second I learned about floating cities, Venus became my number one pick. You don't want to fall off, though. That would be bad as you'd be boiled, burned, and eventually crushed into a mush as you fall deeper into the atmosphere. So stay away from the safety railings. Now, those are pretty much our solar options, things we could achieve in the next century or so if we're lucky enough to be here, which, come on, I am leaving for a reason. There are a couple of moons out in the outer planets that have some things going for them as colony worlds. Jupiter's Callisto, Saturn's Titan, and Enceladus have some favorable things like water and solid grounds without too much radiation. Of course, asteroid habitats are potential, but I see those as mostly mining colonies and outposts. The lack of gravity presents a problem, but we could get ice from Saturn's rings for water and air, so, so maybe Ceres, which we think has water ice, could be turned into a little home away from home, but all in all, a planet with something close to 1G is optimal, which brings us back to our alien friends at allowing me to hitch a ride with him. I mean, let's get real here. I'm not looking to be hanging around the solar system since all the problems we have on Earth will just move to the outer planets. I've seen the expanse. There are 64 stars within 50 light years from Earth. And you know, I wouldn't want to inconvenience our friends with a long haul hitch. I mean, already I'm working off ass gas and grass. And I can only afford so much of each out of my colonization supplies. Anyway, we think now that about 15% of those 64 stars have planets in their Goldilocks zone where life is possible. Those numbers will probably grow up as our ability to detect planets improves, and the aliens got this shit anyway. But again, to be polite, I want to have a destination in mind when I hitch a ride. So let's run through a few quick candidates for relocation outside the solar system. First up, Proxima Centauri. We've already detected a rocky planet in the habitable zone. But the system isn't ideal for supporting life because of the star size and the orbit around Proxima B. But there is a rocky planet there right in the zone, so maybe, but again, not ideal. Best choices from what we now know? Alpha Centauri, a mere 4.7 light years from Earth, just around the corner in galactic terms. Estimates say that, Al that Alpha Centauri A or B have a 75% chance of planets in their respective Goldilocks zones. But it's the Trappist system that has the best chance for a new place to live. Far from the tweets and the shitstorm debates. Also, Trappist monks make some fucking awesome beers, so it's kismet. About 40 light years out, the brown dwarf of the Trappist system has seven rocky planets in the hospitable zone. Three of those seven are on the sweet spot that Venus, Earth, and Mars occupied, adjusted for their local star size. Trappist D is practically the same equivalent distance from its star as we are from Sol. And D is about halfway between Earth and Mars in size. But C and E are basically the same as Earth in size and mass. Deep space imaging and analysis have detected the evidence of liquid water in the system because liquid water bleeds off all kinds of elemental traces into the atmosphere and it blows out in space. 
If there's liquid water, then there's probably an atmosphere. And if you have an atmosphere, I think you can see where I'm going. Woohoo! Beach time! Yeah, the Trappist system. There are other candidates, of course. The Galice system has three planets with strong indication of liquid water and atmospheres, but they're all super Earth and probably have more gravity than I want to be comfortable with. I mean, who wants to work out just by breathing? So I'm all set for the Trappist system. That's where I'm going to ask the boys to drop me off when we go. That's assuming I could trust the aliens. I mean, I guess they could just take me out to the orbit of Uranus and shove things in my ass. Real fucking funny, guys! Way to be mature! You can cross vast interstellar distances with physics-defying speed, and what do you use that technology for? Cheap practical jokes. Ha ha! Very fucking funny, Glaxar, you asshole! Also, you know what? We could just stay here and work on all the shit that's going on right here, going wrong right here at home. I mean, I it's probably slightly easier than hopping a lift with Glaxar and the boys or trusting Elon Musk to figure out how to make Mars a place you can live before he dies. After all, we could actually do something about the politics and climate change if we really wanted to. We could start, I guess, by making sure we take our ass to the polls next month and vote for Joe Biden. I mean, Joe's all right. He ain't going to fix everything, but he ain't going to make anything any worse. Easier than building a space city and lunar lava tubes, even if you did want Bernie to win. We could also stay off the fucking social media so much and pass some laws to keep Facebook and YouTube from peddling fucking radical content to the dumbest amongst us for funsies and profit. Honest to God, Facebook could just stop pushing every shit for brain on the internet into the most radical corners of Facebook for clicks and engagement. We would see an improvement in just a few months and figuring out how not to make the fucking next Proud Boy recruit has got to be easier than floating cities on Venus. Maybe... Maybe we could use these big plans for making power on the moon and atmospheres on Mars for making power on Earth and taking the carbon dioxide out of our atmosphere before we turn this planet into fucking Venus. I mean, surely, if you have an idea how to fucking build them on fucking Mars, you could put one in Minneapolis a lot cheaper, right? Instead of hitching a lift with an immature asshole who just wants to explore your anus, you could stay here and invest the time and effort to make this world a place worth living in, and then maybe we could go to the moon and shit. I mean, I, I still want to live on the moon, but I really would like the Earth to be here when I got back. So you know what? How about starting with a vote for sanity and reason in a few weeks? Glaxar will still be there. Just don't believe him when he says the space booze is harmless. That's a sure path to an anal probe. Trust me on this one. <laughs> that is it for our show this week. Oh, man. It's a climb to do these, these two shows. Two shows I didn't even think about fucking doing before I started doing. I mean, I, I got to take a shitload of science that I do not understand because I was a liberal, liberal arts major and then digested and write jokes about it that will hopefully be funny so uh you know i hope you laughed otherwise i just wasted a lot of time still it was better than thinking about the world and now i know about moon bases which honestly i just knew about from space 1999 back in the 70s sure hope we get those eagle transporters though they were the fucking coolest 
Speaking of cool, it would be cool of you to rate and review this show wherever you get your pods so other people can listen and wonder why the hell you thought it was cool to tell them to listen to this show. Another cool thing would be to kick us a buck over at patreon.com what slash what the hell podcast. You get all the shows early, you get them ad free, and for a few dollars more, some cool fucking swag. There's even a pin with Gavin's face on it. Follow us on the Soch. God, I can't believe I said that after telling you to get the hell off Soch. But if you got to be on the Soch, follow us there at the Twitter at the hell underscore podcast or what the hell podcast on Facebook. We will radicalize you a little, but only in a positive way, like with radical common sense and critical thinking, which on Facebook is uber radical. All of the shows are at whatthehellpodcast.com. Oh, Spooktacular starts next week. Oh, we got some shit for you all. We got some shit for you. I cannot wait for October. I have got so many things in the hopper. You are going to love it. We got aliens, and we've got true crime, and we've got two-parters all fucking month long. So stay tuned. So for me, Dave, I'm a space cowboy Bledsoe producer. Some people call him Maurice Gavin, and all the fictional gangsters of love in the show. We want to say there are those who believe that life here began out there. Far across the universe with tribes of humans who may have been the forefathers of the Egyptians, of the Toltecs, or the Mayans. That they may have been the architects of the Great Pyramids, of the lost civilizations of Lemuria or Atlantis. Some believe that there may yet be brothers of man who even now fight to survive somewhere out beyond the heavens. We'll see you all next week. What the Hell Were You Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.